Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 46. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast. Before we start with the interview, I wanted to pass along. In May, I have two more leadership coaching slots available. If you're interested in taking your leadership game to the next level, I am available for one-on-one personal coaching. We can do that via Skype. If you're close enough, we can do it in person. You can go to my website, doseofleadership.com, and click on the coaching menu item and you can learn more information. What I can offer to you, I got 25 years of practical leadership experience both on a personal and professional level. I've seen a lot of things and I'm willing to share them with you and help you become the leader that you were meant to be. Remember, like I've always said on this podcast, we all have an opportunity and an obligation to become a leader. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what your title is, we are all capable of being better leaders. Again, thanks for tuning into the show. I appreciate all your support. I love the feedback. I'm getting more and more, and I try to answer every single one. In fact, I'm committed to answering every single email, every single Twitter or Facebook message that I receive. Again, thanks for all your support, and here's the interview. Well, I'm so thrilled to have on my show today Brian Kibbe. He's the president of McGraw-Hill Higher Education, a leading innovator in the development of 21st century teaching and learning solutions for post-secondary and higher education markets worldwide. He's responsible for the overall strategic direction of the higher education business and the development of market-leading digital tools, platforms, and services, including McGraw-Hill Connect, an all-digital course management platform, and McGraw-Hill LearnSmart, the world's leading intelligent and super adaptive learning technology. Prior to joining McGraw-Hill in, in March of 2011, Mr. Kirby was the person Pearson Education, where he was Senior Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Business Development, leading a business that experienced record growth during his tenure. He holds a bachelor's degree in finance from Western Illinois University. Brian, it's such an honor to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me. Well, guys, you know, uh, Mike... Um, Mr. Hyatt put us in, in touch with each other, and I'm so glad we did. I came across your blog, and, and aesthetically, it's probably one of the best ones I've seen. It's so fun. I want to talk to you a little bit about afterwards what theme you use, but what a, great, a lot of great resources on leadership, on innovation, on technology. What got you so passionate about leadership? Well, I like to, uh, I like to move people in leadership. Uh, ultimately, it is about courage, and it's about moving people in a direction uh, towards winning outcomes. So I was also very lucky to be, uh, I joined the Army after high school, and um, I was lucky to be around some terrific leaders, and I, I was able to see firsthand what they were able to do to not only achieve their missions, but most importantly, to change the lives. So um, I was I graduated high school at 17, so I had a, uh, a front row seat with uh, colonels and general officers at a very young age, and I saw what they were able to do, and it inspired me. So, so you joined the army. A little bit about. So you, you um, left the army. Then, then where did you go? I left the army. Then I went to college, and from there, I had my own business after college for a couple of years. <clears throat> and then I joined McGraw Hill as a sales rep in Wisconsin. I see. And so, the path to the presidency you, that was in March two thousand twenty eleven. Is that right? Yes, I was promoted to uh, president in March of 2011. 
You know, when we were talking in this pre-interview, and we are talking about one of the pursuits or the passions of this podcast is the pursuit of truth and common sense. And you and I were talking about that and that kind of what drives and looking at your writings and what kind of drives you on leadership is, is common sense. And you and I were talking that leadership is, is easy to understand, but it's a little bit more difficult to implement. Would you agree with that assessment? It is. And as we talked about before we started, and that there have been tens of thousands of books, <laughs> speeches, biographies written on great leaders, how to be a great leader. And one of the things I like about your uh, podcast, it's common sense leadership. But common sense, especially when it comes to leadership, is ultimately pretty hard. Um, so I think uh, what good leaders do, they, they try uh, to distill it into a, into, in a simple way for people to understand. And my philosophy on leadership is about talent, culture, and strategy in that order. And whenever life's complexities, uh, running a business, start to um, intrude too much, I just go back to my core values. And then our core values is company, which is talent first, attracting it, hiring it, building it, seeding it. And then the second is culture. And how do you build a culture that's consistent with your values of, in, my, in our case, it's about disruption in an elegant way. And building a company that's not just a winning company, but a com- company that has laughter and joy and success and changing people's lives at its core. A lot of work that's really hard uh, to do every day, and you have to maintain discipline around it. And then the third is strategy. And so um, common sense leadership, it's, it's out there. The roadmaps are out there. But it often is hard for people to be disciplined about applying on a day-to-day basis. Why do you think the talent is so difficult? I love what you wrote in one of your posts. I can't remember what it says, but it's, you know, you know, look for the crazies. I love that. That was one of my favorite things that I've, I've read. I'm a big believer of that too, is that if you find some people that, you know, I'm not opposed to finding someone that makes you, you know, maybe rubs you the wrong way, but someone that's just innovative and creative. Those are the people I like to find. Why do we steer away from those individuals? Uh, I think ultimately it's, um, insecurity more than anything else. Um, leaders who hire people who are interested, they may, they may be competent people and, and good people, but hiring people who conform is ultimately a road to going out of business yeah. or to failure if you're not in our business. Ultimately, it's it's a road to failure. I was in a meeting the other day with customers, actually. There were senior-level uh, executives at this, at this office. And I figured what the kind of topic was, but ultimately I said, listen, there's no one at this table who got here by following the rules. No one. Mm. So you never want to, you certainly want to work within the bounds of the law and ethics. And But having said that, working exclusively within the bounds and the policies of your company, right? Mm-hmm. If you just follow the rules, if you don't break them, your company, whether it takes 10 years or 20, you're going to go out of business. Yeah. You're not going to win. So what you have to have are people who are willing to disrupt in an elegant way. And in our case, we build a culture of disruption because that's where the real innovation happens. And that's where change, that's where change goes. So I love to hire, my wife always tells me, I love to hire the crazies. I love to hire the crazies. <laughs> and um, I'm hiring, and I, I'm crazy, so I mean that in a good way. Um, but I think oftentimes, too, hiring crazy people in a good way, innovators, um, it, it takes a lot of stamina and um Crazies are almost always the top performers, and top performers often require an enormous amount of energy to continue to inspire and lead. So I think um, part of the reason that people don't hire enough crazies is, is uh, uh, perhaps a little bit, maybe a little insecure. 
And then also it takes an enormous amount of emotional energy to uh, to drive and channel those the uh, that type of uh, performer in in the right direction. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it, you know it, if you can deal with some of those idiosyncrasies, if you can deal with the energy that's involved. But to me, that that seems to be part of the game. Otherwise, it's just mediocrity. But if you can sit there and you can, I'm not afraid, and I and I, I'm a firm believer that. There's nothing wrong with making the place a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't mean that, like you said, in an unethical way or an illegal way. But I think there's something to be said about having an environment where everybody's just a little bit uncomfortable. What do you think about that? Well, it's interesting, interesting that you said that. I often tell people, I mean, I say it every day, in order to become really successful, it doesn't matter what, what it is that you want. If you want to be a, a lieutenant within the fire department or a chief of police or just the best detective in the world or you want to be a great business leader, you have to every day grow comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. To achieve real success, you must be grow comfortable uh, with being uncomfortable. And that means you're constantly challenging yourself. It means you're challenging your boss. It means you're challenging your colleagues in a good way. And most importantly, you're challenging yourself to overperform. Once you start to become comfortable, it is a road, in, in many ways, to the end of true success. So you have to be very comfortable with being uncomfortable. And as a leader, you have to create an environment that is uncomfortable, but in a good way, yeah. in a disruptive way, um, where you're constantly challenging people, and you do not let people sit on their talents. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there are, there are two things. There's one thing that human beings will avoid above all else, and it's not physical pain. You can't even remember what physical pain feels like. Try to remember what, what happens if you twisted your, your, your leg on a, on a basketball court. You know it was painful, but you can't really, you can't really remember it. Right. But emotional pain, you can call it up in a second. That's so we will avoid emotional pain more than anything else. And what happens is when you're, when you, um, so comfort is just comfortable. But you have to find a way to draw out that that in yourself and most importantly in the people that you lead. And that's where the real innovation lies. That's where the real success lies. Yeah, you know, I think that what I love about your stuff and, and your philosophy, it ties into, and I, I got a lot of this from the Marine Corps too because it, it felt the same way, is that, <clears throat> you know, we, there's so many books about leadership and we talk about it. We all try to aspire to be leaders, self-included. But real leadership is is not for the timid, it's really, really hard. And I and it's easy to understand, it's easy to talk about these common sense concepts, but it is really hard. And it's hard because the pursuit of the truth is is isn't always that I to me I think that's where the uncomfortableness comes into. Because if you're constantly in pursuit of the truth, and I love your your what you wrote there in leadership and risk and your number one uh, lesson in there is that you need it like oxygen. And that's one of my biggest things is that to, for genuine authenticity, it takes a culture of courageous uh, – that's what I always try to push for, courageous authenticity. But it's so painful because it's tr it, it really is painful to be yeah. courageously authentic. And then uh, – can you still hear me? Yeah. And then I think what people often ask is, okay, it's okay for you then, Brian, to be – we understand that that's what you do. That may be your philosophy. But how do you inspire that in others? How do you build a culture – where people feel comfortable being a courageous leader, to feel comfortable uh, challenging their boss, challenging their colleagues. And um, one thing is, uh, I think it goes back to the Jack Welch model, which is, uh, I like, I, he says candor, I say extreme candor. And as a leader, when people are candid, you need to make sure that you and your leadership team 
never punish, never punish candor, and never punish anyone when they're trying to disrupt in a good way for the right reasons. They can be way off the mark. But if you punish one person for real candor, I do town halls all the time. I do them on both in person, across my company. I do them on the phone. And often, and the reason many executives don't do town halls, or at least it's not as frequently as I think that they should, because they're uncomfortable for the leader as well, especially if you say things to people the likes of which I just said to you. So I'm going to get uncomfortable questions. I'm going to get the hard questions. I'm going to have people challenging the company strategy, which ultimately is, is, is my strategy, right? Yep. So you have to be absolutely disciplined about making sure that people are never not only are they not punished for it, but they feel good about it and reward for it. It's, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. You have to be disciplined about it as a leader. Great point. And I love how I want to emphasize that, that the, the, Courage that it takes is you on the receiving end. I like to equate it to in, in flying multi-career aircraft, you have to get good at this because it's critical that, you know, and some of the best mentors that I had early on and they told me, they said, look, it's not your right to challenge me. It's your obligation and you're not living it. And they would say to this in no uncertain terms that you're not living up to your terms as a leader. If you do not challenge me as your superior, you have to challenge me. And I think that's so critical. You see that in multi-career aircraft, you know, two guys sitting up there at the front, guys and gals or whatever, you cannot, you cannot hold anything back. And the, the key is on a leadership obligation. If you notice something to your superior, you have to have the courage to say something. But most importantly, if you're the one receiving that, um, candor, you have to be tactful in how you receive it. And, and I love what you said about you can't punish, you can't stifle that because if you put a brick, a wall up there and stop it, and that's when all the mediocrity or something dangerous could happen, too. That's exactly right. And you have to be disciplined. I'll give an example of how I'm disciplined about it, and I mean every day. So I'll have, as, as we all do, we have meetings with our teammates, we have meetings with our leaders, and we have meetings with customers. And um, during the course of meetings every day, I said, now listen, if you do not challenge me on this, I'm going to assume that I'm right and we're moving. Yeah. And then I would expect that we're all moving. So right now is the opportunity to challenge um, my thinking or our thinking on an issue, if you're not challenging me, I'm going to think I'm right and we're moving. So you have to constantly remind people, hey, um, it's no different. If you're a, if you're a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, you're in the Marine Corps, yep. and you're talking to a two or four star general, that two or four star general, if they're, if she or he is good at their job, they have to say, listen, lieutenant colonel, challenge me on this, because you got, you know, you got stars in your helmet. And so, therefore, they may not. So you have to constantly remind people that it's okay, I need you to challenge or they won't. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, in, in hearing you, it's refreshing to, to talk to somebody that, that sees it that same way. But it is difficult, um, and I think a lot of the time we want to be popular, we want everything to be smooth. But the whole idea about being in that leadership role, if you're going to um, – get out of the boat of mediocrity and there's so many good companies out there but to get to that great status you have to make it uncomfortable you have to be like you said disruptive but in a tactful way right and you have to one of the challenges for businesses is um someone uh leaders once said to me a real successful guy he said brian we all worship at the shrine of scale now that is true for business models it's also true for leadership um the only way, and one of the reasons I blog, one of the reasons I'm very active in the social web, and I have to find use every medium available to me 
to make sure that I'm teaching other leaders how to do it because I can't scale by myself. Mm-hmm. So the things that people try to apply in business models, they need to apply the same to scaling, teaching other leaders to do it because you can have a charismatic leader, you can, have, you can be all of these things, but if you can't teach other people to do it, it's meaningless. That's a great point. You know, you mentioned charisma there. I'm curious to see what you think about, you know, I've always said that charisma isn't necessarily, I think too often we focus on charisma. Where do you stand on, on uh, charisma being a necessary trait for leadership? That's a great question. It's not, it's not a necessary trait. It can be helpful. If you think leaders, uh, you have to be able to communicate, you have to be able to make people curious, you have to be able to capture their imagination and their attention, but it doesn't mean that you have to be what uh, the world's view of a charismatic leader may be. Leadership takes all kinds of, uh, comes in all kinds of shapes, all kinds of ideas and forms. So I've been, I've worked with outstanding leaders who um, were a little bit more soft-spoken than perhaps I am. Doesn't mean I'm that they're any more, more or less effective. So ultimate leadership is, are you effective with your leadership? Mm-hmm. And leadership takes all kinds of different forms. So you do not need in fact, some say that charismatic, uh, charismatic leadership, because it's, it's hard to replicate because it can't be more personality-based, is that. So I would tell people, lead and find things that work for you, and it's a very personal thing. So I'll, I'll tell you a story around this. I saw Colin Powell speak, uh, obviously a former Secretary of State, Colin Powell, uh, speak uh, about 10 years ago at the World Business Forum in New York. And he told the story how he was a second lieutenant, I think he was in 1959 in Korea. And he said his World War II master sergeant, his platoon sergeant, came up to him and said, Sir, can I give you some advice? And Colin Powell said, Of course, sergeant. And he said, Listen, you'll know you're a great leader when people follow you merely because they're curious. And so how you make people curious, you have to find a way to make people curious, but it's not necessarily through charismatic leadership. It can be in just different ways. Say that last sentence again. I don't know if I can say that again. Sure. Um, you have to find a way to make people curious. Some people, but you have to use whatever gifts you've been given. If your gift is incredible brain power, but you understand how to make people curious around it and get results around it, great. Or if you're a charismatic person, whatever gifts you've been given, um, you have to use them to make people curious enough to follow you. So it's not just about charismatic leadership. Leadership comes in all kinds of, all forms. Yeah. And I think a lot of times what I always tell people is that I think some people are scared away thinking they couldn't be a leader because they they stereotypically think, oh, to be a leader, you have to be this larger-than-life figure. And you're right. I think, you know, real leadership, some of the great leaders that I've come across that I just have been blown away with have been kind of quirky and, and almost quiet. And, and they, were, they weren't the leaders that I, you know, 20 years ago would have thought would have been the typical leader or what our culture kind of holds up anyway in the pop culture, what a, what a popular leader is. I'm curious, right. I'm curious to think, too, about from your experiences at McGraw-Hill and everything else. Oh, the four places I've worked since I've been out of the Marine Corps, the biggest thing, the probably one of the biggest things, one of the biggest pet peeves is this lack of decision making. That everybody seems to want to wait till they have all the perfect information before they step out on limb and make a decision. What is your experience with decision making? And, and, or the I, lack I, there? I think, leaders need, I think leaders, can you still hear me pretty well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimately, it comes around, the leader's got to make a call. 
And I think leadership by committee, there have been thousands of case studies, books, commentary, uh, written about the whole idea of leading by committee. It doesn't work. You do need to lead collaboratively, uh, but ultimately you've got to make a call. And when I see leaders who can't make a call, usually it's um, about one thing, and it's about accountability. So if you're a project leader, if you're a company commander in the military, whatever, wherever, wherever you are, you have to be able to make a call, which means you have to be able to stand by a call. And so I promote people who are willing to stand up for a call, make a decision. I think of Seth Godin, who's a, uh, obviously a marketing guru. You may have Purple Cow guy. and He wrote uh, a book recently. I can't oh, yeah. forget what it was called. But I love Seth. Books, I love Seth stuff. Yep. I love it. He said, you got to listen. As a leader, do two things. Either stand up for an idea or start up. Uh, you know, stand up or start up or stand up by, by idea. One of those two things. But ultimately, you have to, when people fail to make a call, fail to make decisions in leadership, often it's around the lack of courage to be accountable. And accountability in the end, that's what people will follow. If you want to make people curious, and it's not about charismatic leadership, it's purely about is this person willing to be accountable for the results of their decision? And Far too, many, far too many people are not comfortable with that, but people are really, really smart. When they see a leader who will stand by his or her ideas um, and be accountable for the consequences of those, of those decisions, they'll follow you. Yeah, that's a great point. I've always said that if you really want to start dipping your foot in the leadership pool, you have to understand the difference between accountability and responsibility. Sometimes people use those two interchangeably. They are very subtly but very powerfully different. Accountability, like you said, is if, if the leader, a leader is going to accept accountability for, you know, if you if you work for me, I accept the accountability for your failures and your mistakes. And that is very hard to do. And you don't see it enough. Right. But, but when it does happen, man, you breed loyalty, respect, and a following like you can't even describe. You want to write about that? There's so much lack of accountability, you know, because it's hard. I mean, because the reality is if you if you may lose your job, your title, your your reputation because of the failure of somebody else, but that's the price you have to pay for leadership. You may not lose your reputation, right? Yeah, so yeah if you, you are a courageous leader and, and you end up, losing your job or position because you stood up for something, there may be, if you if you put everything, there may be a great story there as well. So um, the whole issue of accountability is is a big one. That's why uh, before you started your podcast, I talked about the fact that I have a, it's more symbolic, I drive my uh, eight-year-old Duke Grand Cherokee, and I never want to be, be beholden to stuff. And right. I think far too often people start to live far beyond their means. And what happens is they they may be less reticent, they may be more reticent to, 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 to take accountability because they fear losing their job. I often tell people, in order to really do your job, you have to be willing to lose it. Yeah. Now, I've never known anyone. I've never known anyone. I've never let anyone go who had that mentality because ultimately those people who are willing or so passionate, they want to stand up for their ideas and make them real, they're willing to lose their job if it doesn't work out. I've never known any anyone of that type to actually lose their job. You know, that's so true. That is exactly true. Everybody, you know, and, and even when those difficult things have happened, you know, the big mistakes that, that cost a lot of money or or whatever, and those mistakes can be huge. 
And if the, the, the person that usually stands up and, and holds himself accountable, usually good things happen to everybody involved. Almost always. In fact, a person who is who holds themselves accountable or passionate about doing great things, I've never known anyone where it hasn't worked out very well for them. I, me neither. When I'm thinking about it, I haven't. In, in, in all those instances, I can think where it's happened to myself or to other people that I've known, only good things have happened. And it seemed dark. It seemed dark and scary at the moment, but it, it's so rare when someone stands up and doesn't point the look. It's my fault. You know what I mean? It's so rare and it's so refreshing to see. Right. And what happens for those those people is they continue. They make mistakes for sure. And what happens is they continue to learn and they have the stamina to persevere and stand up and try something else. I give you an example. I give talks a lot. I um, small talks. Sometimes I get up in front of a lot of large audiences, and early on, I would tell a tell a story, and it might may fall flat. So what happens to a lot of people is if they try to stretch themselves in a presentation or stretch themselves in an audience, when they have those embarrassing moments, and we all do, mm-hmm. what happens is they they retreat to safety. Then the next presentations become more vanilla, then more vanilla again, then more vanilla, and then you're then you're there, you're. You're a conformist and you're like everyone else. What happens is, when you make those mistakes, learn from them, try something different, it doesn't work. Are you, are you familiar with the comedian Chris Rock? Yeah. So Chris Rock, he was on, he did an HBO special, I maybe it was about 10 years ago, and he's being interviewed before it. And the interviewer said, how do you just get up there and just, you're just so good, how do you just do that? It's gold. And Chris Rock said, listen, I've done 50 clubs. I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing back rooms and I'm falling on my face. And then I find the material that works, and that's what I use. And I think leaders and, and people on teams need to do more of that. Test stuff. Try stuff. Fall on your face. There's up the worst of telling a story or a joke that falls flat. But don't make it, don't, don't, don't force it you into a tree. Try something new. Try something new. Oh, I love that. I'm curious to think as we wrap up in the final moments, you know, one of the things that I've learned, I stumbled upon in my leadership pursuit is, is especially as I got up in, in the higher ranks is, is also not, um, you know, taking care of the folks that I'm accountable for, but leading upward. What advice would you have for all of us out there, you know, and what do you expect for people that you hire? And then I'm curious to see, you know, you've obviously got to report to somebody too. What challenges or what advice do you have for successfully leading upward as well? We all have a boss. My boss has a boss. Um, Apollo, which is an equity company that owns us, Larry Bird is a senior partner there. He's got a boss. So it's about relationships. What you want to do is build great relationships upwards, downwards, sideways with your customers, and um, you have to uh, have to build relationships. Sometimes people say, oh, XYZ is very political. And I say, how do things get done? Politics, in the right sense of the word, is getting things done. That's it, that you do it the right way. So bottom line with your boss, um, it's like building a relationship with the customer. You want to get like things done with the customer, right? Right. So you build a relationship with the customer. That's exactly the same thing with your colleagues, with your boss. And when when you have a great relationship with people, ultimately they begin to trust you more and you can move faster. If your boss, boss trusts you or the people that work with you trust you and you spend time with them, and you can challenge them more because they trust you. And when you challenge people, things really start to happen. So basically, the answer the question is, you know, treat your boss, your colleagues, and everyone like a customer, and it all works out pretty well. 
Well, what's next for McGraw-Hill? I mean, we didn't get even to talk about some of the things that you're working on there with the, the innovation and the education. What are you working on now? I think with McGraw-Hill, we have a chance, we have an opportunity to be a part of changing the world. And uh, what's going on in the world right now, one of the biggest issues is is the opportunity that to apply technology to learning. And what I mean by that is we have something called uh, super adaptive technologies, uh, an example of smart smart. What happens is the technology today allows every student to have a personalized learning experience. You may learn math faster, perhaps, than I do, uh, but if you use the technology that allows a student to work at their own pace and, even more importantly, allows a mentor-teacher to understand where I am Kibbe is in the math course and be able to, uh, to pinpoint the mentorship or teaching specifically to that student, you have the opportunity to change the world. So really, McGraw-Hill right now is about how do we uh, use our technology, develop new technologies to work with faculty around the world to help create better outcomes and performance for students. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to change the world. Well, you guys are doing great stuff. And, and Brian, I tell you, I'm a huge fan. You know, just coming across your blog last week, I mean, I bookmarked it. There's, a, I mean, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. I'm encourage everybody to go check it out. It's BrianKibbyBlog.com. I'll have a link to it on my website. Is there anywhere else that uh, people can get in touch with you, Brian? Sure. If you just Google Brian Kibbe, I'm on Twitter at just uh, at Brian Kibbe. I've got a Facebook page. Uh, that you Google it, you can find me. Well, Brian, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know you're a busy man, and uh, I appreciate all the tips and the techniques you gave us in this 30 minutes again i encourage everybody to go out there and check out your blog it's going to be one of my favorites from here on out and uh i'm glad to have met you brian uh likewise i'll see you thanks for your time all right thank you brian richard invites you to become a part of the dose of leadership community visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free common sense leadership ebook a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm confident consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.